0: It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's a, a sports, sports rush, rush with, with Brett Rump. Landis. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve
1: here in the Summit City.
0: the 11 yard touchdown. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's
2: your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important
0: person of all time. You are- to me, voice. Yeah, well, you're half right. This is amateur hour! This is gonna be huge! I believe this is gonna be our finest hour. Just when I think you said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it, I have problems. Welcome to the alleged show. Y'all ready for this? Thank God it's... <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's right. We're headed to the weekend here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Alongside Adam Lundy, I'm the coach, Shannon Griffith. Very nice first hour. Thank you to Dylan Sin and Ben Boudreau for joining us on that uh, first hour. We've got the big high school basketball game here tonight on 1380 The Fan. And we talked a little bit about the Homestead Spartans traveling to the Norwell Knights for the big matchup. We will have that game here on 1380 the fan at 7:30 is the tip off on that and of course the comments can be heard on wo wo with the voice of the comments, Shane Alborani tonight at 7:30 live from Savannah Georgia as the comets take on the ghost pirates <laughs> well that's a good that's actually pretty good that's pretty good now we did some or i should say adam did some checking about the Purdue-Fort Wayne Mastodons and where they potentially could end up as the Horizon League tournament starts. And I know that you got a good text message from our faithful leader, Mr. Brett Rump, who I guess said he's gotten ditched on the rooms up there for some reason. But (laughs) (laughs) give us what he gave you as it pertains to... The Horizon League Tourney.
3: Yeah, well, first of all, for our listeners who were uh, listening in uh, yesterday to Brett doing the show live from Milwaukee, you might have heard that the uh, that he's ended up with the hearing disabled <laughs> room uh, for the last couple times on these road trips with the Mastodons, and it, it happened again today. Here uh, they arrived in Green Bay, and uh, once again, Brett was given the hearing disabled. Old person room, unfortunately. Coincid-
1: coincidence? Or somebody that has the travel plans is making a little bit of fun <laughs> at Mr. Rump.
3: Yeah, but he did uh, text in and let me know that the Mastodons will be at Detroit or host Wright State. Those are the two most likely possibilities with with things shaking out And that here.
1: would be Monday night?
3: Not sure if it's Monday night or Tuesday night? Okay. But I will find that out.
1: Well, you know, we talked about the Horizon League and the number of teams that are kind of all right up there at the top or kind of in the middle of the pack, so to speak. And uh, tomorrow's games, while they are the last ones of the regular season, I believe, they are pretty important when it comes to whether you're playing at home or you're playing on the road. And it'd be great to see the Mastodons get a home Attorney uh, uh, game against Wright State, a team they just beat not only a, about a week ago on a half court shot at the end of the game.
3: Yep, it will start uh, Tuesday, February 28th, with uh, a lot of first games.
1: There. Yeah, and those first games are on uh, the campuses of those of those teams, and they don't make their way down to Indianapolis uh, until the weekend.
3: Yep, that'll be uh, March 6th when they make their way to the Indiana Farmers Coliseum.
1: Well, we already talked about the NFL Combine is coming to Indianapolis. You got the Horizon League tourney, and then all of a sudden you got Big Ten tourneys. You got all these different tourneys going on. But I don't think the Big Ten's in Indianapolis this year. I think that's up in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm sure Adam will correct me on that and give us all the correct information as the Big Ten tourney is right around the corner because after Saturday's game, uh, I believe the Hoosiers have two games left versus Iowa and Michigan, both at home. And you're going to give me where the Big Ten tourney is?
3: You were right, Janet. It is in Chicago at the United Center. At the United Center, and it will be from March 8th through March 12th.
1: Yeah, so you can see how quickly that will be approaching. As February is a short month, and we'll be into the March by next week. But uh, I'm not sure why they gave up having it in Indianapolis and it switched up to Chicago. Um, But, you know, it's spreading the wealth, I guess you could say. Uh, but, like I said, IU has a couple games left after Purdue this uh, Saturday night. They play Iowa and Michigan, both games at home, and both pretty important games for the Hoosiers as well as they get themselves ready for the Big Ten tourney. And I know Purdue is trying to solidify their number one ranking, potentially, into the and tur- to the tourney. Uh, as well. One thing, what do you, do you have something else?
3: Yeah, I was just uh, looking to see why they kind of moved the uh, Big Ten tournament from Indianapolis to Chicago. And uh, a statement released by the conference cited centralizing operations between the men's and women's tournaments as the primary factor behind the decision.
1: Yeah. And, and the Big Ten's offices are located up in Chicago. Um, from that standpoint. But uh, neither here nor there. It's an opportunity to, for them to spread their wings a little bit. But also, the Indiana women's basketball team don't want to shy away from that. What a season that the Lady Hoosiers are having at this point. And I know um, that uh, bracket for the 6-8 team will be announced on March the 12th. But right now, with some of the predictions... Uh, it looks like Indiana may have a number one seed for the women's uh, uh, coming up, as they are the number two ranked or the t- two ranked team, two ranked team in the NCAA uh, women's basketball. And uh, South Carolina being the number one team, but it looks as the Lady Hoosiers will be a number one seed, and you know what a year that they're having down there in in Bloomington. And don't want to forget about their success because they have really, really come on uh, this year. I don't know if you followed this or much, but since we're talking about basketball, the biggest thing about the NCA basketball right now is what is happening down in Alabama with one of their players, Brandon Miller. And it involves a shooting that occurred that actually took the life of uh, Jamie Harris, I believe, uh, Darius Miles was involved in that shooting, and Brandon Miller was a part of that scenario as he brought the firearm uh, to uh, Mills uh, on January the 15th. And that's the thing that's has uh, been kind of the... Big on the news of late. Now, Miller has not been charged for anything as of yet. Um, I believe that uh, Darius Miles texted Miller and asking him to bring Darius Miles' gun to him. And supposedly then it was handed off to a gentleman by the last name of Davis, also a former Alabama player. And unfortunately, that led to the death of that young woman. Now, not only has uh, Brandon Miller not been charged with anything, even the, I guess, the Alabama uh, prosecutor also said there is nothing to charge him with. However, uh, Alabama released a statement and Also, their head coach uh, had a statement as well that really, did you see that press conference? He made a, he didn't do anything to diffuse the situation. In other words, he actually had some insensitive comments as it pertains to uh, Brandon Miller uh, and the basketball coach down at, Uh, Alabama's Coach Oates Um, but I guess the biggest question for me in all this again um, the census acts that have happened with firearms that have crept into the sporting world of late here's a young kid, a freshman he's predicted to be I think a uh, a third pick in the lottery draft and he, now he's got himself caught up in all this, which I, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I guess the question is, how do you feel about him continuing to play with this hanging over the head? Now, r- remind you, Alabama num- was the uh, number one team in the season. They're having this fairy tale season, and all of a sudden, you've got something that happens off the court and one of your best players happens to be involved in it but not to the to the extent of what happened as it pertains to the shooting but you have any thoughts on that adam from your perspective just i think it's interesting to get perspective on this because everything out there right now seems to be the wrong answer um
3: I guess my opinion would be that I think it's a bad look that he's playing right now. Yeah. I don't think that he should necessarily be booted from the program or anything like that, but I do think that you need to take him out of the spotlight and uh, and sit him at least until this investigation has been more thoroughly done and until this has kind of kind of gone to trial, all of that stuff until you know jury, right. juries have been settled. I I think you need to take him out of the spotlight because you're just getting. I mean, we're a, we're a we're a sports station in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and we're talking negatively about an, an Alabama basketball team. And it's if we're doing that, then yeah. every every sports station across the country is doing that, and it's just nothing but negative attention and putting your school in nothing but a negative light.
1: Well, and like I said, Nate Oates, the head coach there for the Alabama Crimson Tide, made some very insensitive comments that not only infuriated the community members around Tuscaloosa, it also uh inflamed the parents of Miss Harris um, because of that situation even causing Nate Oates to actually print another statement and kind of backtracking from his insensitive comments so right now in the public sphere it's not going very well for Alabama and it's taken away from their kind of fairy tale run as a basketball program because you think of Alabama you think of Alabama football you don't necessarily think about Alabama basketball and it's just sad to see these young kids involved in such a senseless act that um just is is i mean it's heartbreaking you know why would a kid just listen to his teammate bring a gun but I, I agree with you i think it's gotten to the point now where alabama may have to do some things to take the light off of the situation
3: yeah but now if you do it it just looks like you're doing it because of the backlash too so i don't i don't even know what well,
1: you do well i agree with you but at some point in time if it's it's going to be a distraction um and i think you're right you know he may not have been the man Involved in the actual shooting of the of the young lady, but he started the process, As I guess what I'm saying, uh, in this event. And it's just a sad situation all the way around, and um, I just think it's one of those things that I just – as older I get, I just don't understand sometimes of the decisions uh, that these kids make uh, that could potentially – put themselves in jeopardy when they've got the world in their grasp to get themselves to the highest level of, of competition, which in this case would be the NBA. But, you know, uh, it's a sad scenario all the way around, and I just thought for the most part we would uh, kind of talk a little bit about that, but not enough of that and... We talked a little bit about first out Major League Baseball starting. Yeah, I
3: wanted to say oh, um, San Diego Padres fans out there interested in uh, one of their recent draft picks, uh, Jackson Merrill. Highly touted, a young guy that the San Diego Padres have recently uh, recently taken. Um, hopefully we're going to see him at the 10 caps, but he might even jump us with how good he is right now. Spring training, the Mariners are taking on the Padres. Uh, the one run that the Padres have did come uh, from Jackson Merrill. He singled the center. Oh, wow. And then uh, he was batted in. But hey. he has two hits, and he's uh, looking good so far. Well, we're looking
1: forward for the young young men that may be coming into the Fort Wayne for the 10 caps. And I'm sure as we progress there, Mr. Nutter will be on to explore explore all those potential possibilities and
3: while we're enjoying this beautiful day i'd just like to give another shout out to our friend but brett rump who is uh, currently experiencing uh 19 degrees in green bay with it <laughs> with it feeling like 10 well while we're enjoying this uh sunny day beautiful and- sunny day we hope he's enjoying his time <laughs> up there in green bay well, wisconsin they got
1: that winter storm that came through there, winter storm olive and i know they got uh, i believe several inches of snow but Good luck to the Dons as we will have that ball game tomorrow afternoon at 445 against the Green Bay Phoenix. Yeah. You can catch that game right here on 1380 The Fan, followed by the Purdue versus Indiana game tip off at 730. And uh, we got a big night of of games tonight and tomorrow. It's going to be a great sports weekend. Don't go away as when we come back. We're going to have James Boyd on from The Athletic to talk a little bit about the Colts, draft picks, and what may or may not happen in the draft. And he'll give us all the details right after this message here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. The Colts have, for the most part, have their coaching staff assembled. And the combine is coming up here on the 27th of February, runs through March the 6th. But to give us a lowdown on the Colts from the Atlantic is Mr. James Boyd. James, can you can you hear me, my man? Yep, I can hear you now. Hey, there we go. Hey, uh, I know that things are starting to pick up towards the draft now that the Colts kind of have most of their staff uh, assembled. They lost their special teams coordinator, I believe, today. He's going to the Browns. Where, do you know anything on Gus Bradley and his situation with the Colts?
2: No, it's been radio silence. And I think from the Colts' standpoint, um, even with the reports of Jim Bob Cooter you know, being in line to be the offensive coordinator and things like that, they're probably just waiting to fill out their entire staff to announce it, is my guess. And so, um, you know, you just kind of have to wait and see, which was kind of the case with the overall head coaching search. So I'm not surprised to see it all kind of be uniform.
1: Yeah, but you, but make sure I'm understanding you correctly here. You think Gus Bradley is going to be back next next year as the DC? I
2: would say <laughs> I don't. I, I want to say I, I don't know. I'll be honest. I, I truly do not know if he'll be back next season. Um, I'll say this. I, I do know he's respected in the locker room, and I do know that. The defense was much further along as far as play wise and players than the offense. And so, from that aspect, um, I think it will probably benefit the Colts to bring him back um, and to have that stability there and and maybe have some turnover, some positive turnover from the last uh, regime.
1: Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, now that they got their OC uh, situated with Jim Bob Cooter, a name that I enjoy saying quite often, and I'm sure the. Colts fans and media will also enjoy his name. But uh, let's look at the draft now coming up uh, here later on this spring. You know, I mentioned the Combine a little bit earlier that comes to Indianapolis. It's a pretty big event. If anybody hasn't been to the Combine, if you can get there via tickets anywhere, I would encourage you to go because it is very interesting. Um, But, you know, once we get beyond this, I want to make sure first, though, that I talk about the new hires as the head coach. How do you feel with that hire that the Colts made taking Philadelphia's OC and making him the head coach in Indianapolis?
2: I think it was a great hire considering his background with quarterbacks. Um, Steichen has worked with three different quarterbacks, three prominent quarterbacks throughout his career who have had, you know, great seasons with him helping them. That's Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, and Phillip Rivers, who are obviously all three very different. so mm-hmm. I think that gives you a leg up when you go into this draft class and you're looking to draft a young quarterback and all four of the top guys, you know, have different traits. And so um, I'm sure his input is inside, his ability to work with pretty much any quarterback type will you know pay dividends when you're, you know, honing in and kind of zeroing in on who you want to get and um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, who your franchise guy is.
1: Yeah, and I think you know it put to rest the Jim uh, Jeff Saturday uh, scenario down there in Indianapolis. As many <laughs> yeah. many had thought that that was Ursay's one and only top choice. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs as far as how they landed at the decision that they did, but I would guess to say that he relied upon the group of people that he kept uh, involved with that uh, with that hire. And, of course, I think his daughters were on that committee as well. And it was good to see that, you know, he utilized the people around him to make that hire. So, moving into the draft now, the Colts have the fourth pick in the in the NFL draft. And what, um, I guess, I, I know the article you wrote the, I believe it was the uh, yeah. other other day, with the, yeah. the mock draft and, and, and Chris Ballard and I think even Jim Ursay may have made a, slip up uh at one of the news conferences down there in Indianapolis about them trying to land Bryce Young.
2: Yeah, I'll explain it. So um, you know, Chris Ballard made a joke about trading back spike in Shane Steik's introductory press conference and then uh Jim Mercey jumped in and said, you know, he likes picks, although the Alabama guy it doesn't look too bad. And so um I did a mock draft, and for everyone out there, mock draft really just means fake draft. It means make-believe. You just say something. <laughs> Obviously, I try to make it seem like it's realistic. And I think the perspective that I took was, I know it made a lot of Colts fans upset, a lot of Bears fans happy, um, because I had the Colts giving up. You know, this year's number four, the uh, number 35, second-round pick, and a fifth-round pick, and then next year's first-round pick, move up to number one. They're like, that's too much. Why would you do that? And I think that kind of gives you um, an idea of what it would really take to get up to number one. I'm, I'm not saying it's possible to do that, but I wanted to just give people a scenario of what it would take and how much they would have to believe in, you know, a guy like Bryce Young being um, a future franchise quarterback, you know, a future superstar. And so, again, i have other drafts down the line which will be different than that one and perhaps more realistic in some people's eyes than this one was. Um, but again, I kind of stand by what I put because you can't. You know, I feel like fans, both, you know, fan bases, it's like, you know, or both team bases, it's like, we don't want to give up anything. We want to give up everything. We want everything that you got. We don't want to give you anything. It's like, there's going to be some, you know, group probably doesn't feel that great about trade, you know, um, you know, a couple of years from now because trades are very, very rarely even, you know, and so you have to really bet on your guy. And if you're going to go up and get a Bryce Young, I think if I'm the Bears, I'm asking for two first-round picks minimally, you know, and so um, do you – go with some different negotiations from there, probably. But I think that that's that's probably the starting point. And I know a lot of coaches don't want to hear that, but that's the reality, man.
1: Yeah. No, there's no question. I mean, in any trade, you're going to have to give up something to get something. Um, You know, I know that it has been floating around on the, you know, on various media sites, you know, the possibility of even trading Jonathan Taylor, um, where he's at in his contract year and such. As a possibility as well. I look at the draft order. You got the Bears at one. The Texans at two. And Arizona Cardinals at three. Uh, Interesting thing. I believe that would mean the three teams. Houston, Arizona, and Indianapolis. All have new head coaches in place. And I guess I'm of the belief. That with the talent that there is. Especially in the least. The three top quarterbacks in the draft. I would stay put. If I'm the Colts. And I would be even happy if they got Will Levis from uh, Kentucky. And uh, my thoughts I gave on yesterday's show was that here's a big kid. He's about 6'3", 235 pounds. He looks more like a linebacker, strong arm, but he does have mobility. And you can do some of the quarterback running game because of the size that he has. What's your thoughts on just staying put at four? Yeah, so
2: I think the biggest thing when it comes to staying put at four is people kind of uh, overlooked maybe is that if you were to trade up, right, and get a price, and you say, oh, it's too much to get for for him or Cade Stroud, whatever the case may be, you're also trading up to make sure he doesn't, they don't go anywhere else. So staying put doesn't mean that you can just wait and you're the quarterback that you want or the quarterback you think is going to be there will still be there. You know what I mean? Like it might be some other teams, like a Carolina or like the Raiders, who you know trade up or try to move up in the draft, and then you're you're left, you know, uh, not picking the guy that you wanted and. Uh, I don't think the Colts will be, you know, in a terrible situation if they were to get Will, will Levis. However, um, you know, again, that's a guy you have to really believe in. I think he'd be more of a project than T.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. However, like you said, he's got a lot of the physical traits that Chris Ballard um, likes. And then, again, if you really believe in Shane Sykin, sort of the quarterback guru and how he works with guys and how he helps them develop, um, maybe he can make a jump to being, you know, a really good, sound um, quarterback and, 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 and potentially a superstar. So um, I think that those three, I will say that I think that those three, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, are um, comfortably in that top three and then Anthony Richardson is at number four. However, you know, if you talk to different you know, um, draft analysts around the league and, and um, briefs and stuff that I've read uh, from different scouts and different reports, it's like, you know, some people have him really high as well. So there are some, you know, some big variances as far as quarterback evaluation. However, I do think that CJ and Bryce are the top two um, with Bryce getting a slight edge at number one. And, um, you know, we'll see from there. But I do think that the Colts, um, you know, I could see them. I can envision them getting Will Levis. It's just that if you stay put, you run the risk of not being able to get anyone you want because other teams may be more aggressive and move up.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, that's the the gamble that you take in that regard. And you brought up a good point. You got the Raiders sitting out there as well. Yeah. with uh, the possibility of them wanting to step into the fray to see who they can get there. And I broke, and I I, like you, I think I've looked at different analysis on those top three kids. I mean, I believe the Richardson kid from Florida even has popped into the equation here and there, which I don't believe that's even a probability. Um, What I think is, I don't necessarily think out of the three top guys uh, at quarterback, I'm not so sure you can't go. You can't be wrong with either one of them. But if I was choosing, I like uh, Levis of Kentucky a little bit better than I do Young and Stroud. And I and and I don't know if that's just because of the size thing with him is impressive, but he's also had some decent accuracy. Yeah,
2: I think that Bryce and CJ are more accurate, um, and obviously they put more talent as well. Um, but I think that those two have been consistently rated above Will Levinson. Nothing against him.
1: No, I gotcha. Uh,
2: and again, a lot, a lot of the things that you hear from him aside from um, you know, he has to improve as far as his anticipation, his accuracy a little bit. Um, you know, he hangs on to the ball a little bit too long, but he is tough. He is he can make every throw, he's got a cannon arm and things like that. So again, this is a year where you really have to hunker down and, and why the you know, the upcoming combine is gonna be so huge and pro days and interviewing these guys is because there isn't that andrew luck there isn't that joe burrow there isn't that trevor lawrence where it's like this is the guy in the draft. you know what i mean like there's going to be um we'll look back in a few years and be like wow you know either we were absolutely right about this guy absolutely wrong about this guy um and and i'm sure there are going to be a quarterback in this class who ends up being really 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 good it's just that it's not as clear as it has been in years past i mean when when Andrew Luck was up and the Colts had number one pick, it was no question. Like, hey, he's the guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And minimally, he's a he's a multi-time Pro Bowler. Maximally, or if he, you know, reaches his ceiling, he's on a, a Hall of Fame trajectory. So um, this is just a different draft class, and it makes it so much more interesting to me. That's why I kind of do enjoy, um, you know, doing the mod yeah. and. and, and doing the evaluations people criticize they get mad and they yell at me or they love me i love it because you know that's that's football man that's that's fandom and that's uh that's what we're here for right we're here to um give our two cents and then obviously when it comes down to it the coach will make a decision and we'll go
1: from there well james you should try being a coach where it's 50 50 50 love you 50 hate you now if you're losing (laughs) that moves to 75 hate you and only 25 love you but um well, we can move on from that because I think there are different dynamics in there now. Uh, the one thing about Will is is he is a 4.0 student, so he does kind of meet that Andrew Luck intelligence uh, a little bit in that regard. Now, looking at other picks that the Colts have, you know um, – one thing that I said uh, yesterday is I believe they have to, in the early rounds, find that receiver that can stretch the field for them and be the big play guy. What are your thoughts in that realm?
2: Yeah, I think if you go quarterback, right, and if you stay put, and that means you get who you want at number four, whether it's Levis or Stroud, um, I think that they, with their third-round pick, or, or their second-round pick, rather, I'm sorry, um I would probably look towards the offensive line. I'll probably look mm-hmm. towards the center and maybe, um, moving on from Ryan Kelly, who we throw a lot of money over the next two seasons. Um, do you trade him? Do you release him? I know he's got a, uh, a, a, a reasonable cap hit if you just release him and as opposed to just paying him and, and kind of, you know, staying with him, even though he's regressing. He doesn't really fit the time out of the young quarterback either. And I think of the O line issues, maybe he's the most um, realistic opportunity to kind of upgrade or move on from. And so, um, you know, a guy like John Shonko, Michael Schmitz from uh, Minnesota, who's a center. Um, Steve Avila from TCU, who's like a center guard. Uh, maybe he's a, a guy you look at, you know, to kind of upgrade your line. Some other names are out there, I'm sure, as well. And then, like you said, with wide receiver, one of the guys who jumped out to me, and I don't even know if he's going to drop that far, um, into the, the, the third round is probably where I would kind of project him. Jaden Reed is, is a dynamic player from Michigan State. Uh, you know, 5'11", 5'10". He's not super big, but... He's quick to top off the defense. He shines the senior bowl. He can make, um, you know, every route, run every route. He can make every catch. And I think that he's the guy, um, when I talked to him at the senior bowl, he was like, man, I'm a guy who can put pressure on the defense. And I think you saw flashes of that. And, again, like you said, if you can get someone that just at least makes the defense, you know, play deeper or play more honest, obviously that will help with um, a young quarterback and his ability to, to move your offense and just feel comfortable back there because you have enough threat on the field.
1: Well, James, I certainly appreciate you jumping on here today. Now, if you guys out there want to get all the lowdown on the Colts and the potential draft choices that they're going to make, or just anything that has to do with the Colts, you can get James on the Athletic as as, as a on the on the uh, internet or on Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find him there as well. But I appreciate you coming on today, James. We'll talk to you another time.
2: Sounds good. Uh, Colts fans out there, don't stone me just yet over my mom's draft. I promise you're <laughs> all the first uh,
1: on the way. <laughs> all right, my man. You have a good weekend. That was James Boyd from The Athletic. We're going to step aside. We're going to be right back right here on The Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Welcome back to The Sports Rush here on Friday. Getting ready to head into the weekend. Last night, the Pacers Lost to the Boston Celtics, 142-38, to and overtime at home. Pacers fall to 26-35, but they played the Celtics tough last night. But I thought I'd get on a gentleman that I have a relationship with going back to my Ball State days. And joining us now on the guest hotline is Pacers pregame and sideline postgame reporter, you name it all, he does it all, Jeremiah Johnson. J.J., how you doing, my man?
3: Hey, we're gonna get him. Uh, we're gonna get him back on the line. We, he he oh. d- he disconnected. We're gonna get him back. So just uh, give us one after minute after
1: that here. glorious introduction. But uh, sometimes that happens with guys that are traveling, and I know the Pacers are on their way. I believe to Orlando that they play uh, tomorrow uh, night. And um, but you know, last night Miles Turner had a career game. Man was on fire. Uh, he played well in that in that loss to the Celtics. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, the Pacers come up a little short in that overtime. And I believe now we have Mr. Jeremiah Johnson. JJ, are you there, my man?
0: I am, Shannon. How are
1: you? All right, buddy. Now, are you traveling right now?
0: We just checked into our hotel in Orlando, so the road trip begins. It's a long and winding road trip for sure.
1: Yeah, how many games is this going?
0: It's four games, but actually spread out over nine days. Just to compare things, we had one earlier in the season, which was the longest trip that I had been on, and I think it was seven games, but it spanned 12 or 13 days. So, you know, we play tonight, or the patient I should say, play uh, Saturday night in Orlando, and then not till Tuesday in Dallas, Thursday, San Antonio, and then Sunday, the road trip concludes in Chicago. We will not be stopping in Indianapolis. We'll, we'll stay on the road. So oh, wow. it'll, it's a long trip, but a lot of time to kind of still practice and, and get ready for each game.
1: Well, starting in Orlando is not a bad place to start where it's nice and warm probably today. And uh, that's where my son resides right now. So uh, enjoy the warm weather, as they say, but uh, to, you know... Pacers last night, you know, played that that game pretty tough. I mean, the, the Celtics, they, they, get them, they get them in overtime, but what can you say about Miles Turner? He had a heck of a ball game.
0: It was impressive, and the box score, it makes you think, what if he would have had 25 or 27 shots? He was 13 for 15, and to score 40 points and see him 8 for 10 from outside the three-point arc and did what he normally does, uh, in terms of rim protection, but the offense has really been a major step forward this entire season. And Boston's a team that likes to switch, and and they were trapping at different times to get the ball out of Tyrese Halliburton's hands. Well, that left Miles Turner wide open, and he continued to take advantage of that. Uh, the third quarter was really about as high-level basketball as you'll see in the regular season in the NBA. The Patriots scored 39 points in the third. And, and Boston, with the best record in the NBA, they had to play at their best. They had to play an almost playoff-style rotation. They really only had an eight-man rotation, while the Pacers had had a ten-man rate rotation. Um, so it was it was the Pacers took the Celtics' best shot, and they almost knocked them off. But um, it was a fun game to watch and cover.
1: Well, last night Halliburton ended up with 22. A gentleman that used to be a Pacer, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, was kind of a pain in the Pacer side last night. Had 13 points and five of seven from three-point land finished with 24 points, excuse me, five rebounds and seven assists. And I think if there's one thing that hindered Indianapolis night was the rebound situation.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a problem all season long. It's one they acknowledge. It's one they work on. When I watch practice, they devote probably more time on rebounding and blocking out than the average NBA team does in January or February. So it's probably something they'll continue to work on and, and tweak a little bit As you reshape the roster in the offseason, they like the foundation that they have, but they readily admit that rebounding is not one of their strengths. And uh, against a team that's really going to crash the glass, what you at least try to do is hold drone on the boards, but give up those 20 offensive rebounds. And what I noted was sometimes it wasn't a second-chance opportunity. It was a third-chance opportunity. You Mm -hmm. give these teams a second chance, they often take advantage. They're almost always going to get the basket, or at times even worse than that, a three-point opportunity with that third chance. And so, um, and sometimes it's a little thing where it's an air ball or it's a carom off the rim where someone's out of position and you can get a little bit unlucky, but by and large, they have to do better in terms of rebounding. And that's something we'll probably be watching the rest of this season and on into next season as well.
1: Well, you know what they say? I mean, there are, like you said, there are situations where uh, it's going to go against you in terms of, you know, out of position and such. But when you have those 50, 50 chances, uh of coming down with it you've got to win those battles uh and prevent those uh those points off a rebound because those are the ones that end up hurting you well let's look ahead because that's what we do right we put the, uh, that game behind us it's done and over you take uh, you you learn from it and you move on and but tonight you know they have orlando coming up what you know kind of what are you seeing with the orlando magic and the colts are the pacers uh on, i think it's saturday
0: yeah, it's a very similar team in terms of maybe where they're at and their rebuild. They've been on a rebuild a lot longer than the Pacers have, but I think they both can be at that next level at that playoff, uh, competing for playoff spots very soon. But when you look at them, they have a lot of length, and they've got maybe the leading candidate for rookie of the year in Paolo Banquero and the Pacers have the guy that is pretty much considered the second choice right now and someone who's also considered one of the candidates for sixth man of the year. And Benedict Matherin. So, uh, Bankero did not play the two games the Magic played in Indianapolis in November. He did play in the other game in, in Orlando against the Pacers. And I thought that Benedict Matherin took that matchup personal, uh, mm-hmm. personally. He, he wanted to, to show that he was deserving of that conversation. And I think these guys are going to have some battles over the years. Even though they don't really play the same position, they do, you know, get matched up every once in a while. And so this is a game I think that means a lot to Benedict Matherin. And in the standings right now, You know, both teams are on the outside looking in of the play-in picture, but if they have a hot final month, they could get into the seventh, eighth, ninth, or tenth. And right now, I think Orlando is only a game behind the Pacers. So I'll be interested to see how things transpire. Um, but it's a young, exciting team and the Pacers, I would call a young, exciting team as well. So it should be a fun game to watch. Maybe some two-screen action for those sports fans in Fort Wayne because uh, the Pacer game starts at 7, and I think there's a, another college basketball game of interest coming on a little bit
1: later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figured that one would be, uh, you know, a possible doubleheader. there, are gives the best of both <laughs> worlds in that regard. And, uh, you know, the Pacers, you know, they've, they've taken their lumps this year, and I know it's been a topsy-turvy year. But, you know, I I, I guess how would you see Rick Carlisle's coaching this year with this team?
0: Well, People, I've, I sometimes do some national interviews, and I'll have people ask me about Rick Carlisle's coaching, and and they go back to recalling the way he coached, you know, in the Dallas years, and even go back before that, early with you know, the Pacers and the Pistons, calling a lot of plays, having a lot of control on the offense. And I've seen him adapt very well to this group and Tyree Halliburton, and letting him run fast break opportunities. He's not, no one is really looking over constantly for play calling. And that's what I think the perception maybe was for Rick Carlisle. I think he's adapted really well. Um, just some interactions that I see, whether it's on the plane, after practice, pulling guys aside, watching film, it seems like he's energized by the youth and the quest, and for these young players to learn from Rick Carlisle. I see Benedict Matherin trying to do everything he can to, to get any bit of experience and advice and teaching from Rick Carlisle. And so, uh, I think it's been a good fit. You have to have some veteran players. You have to have some some veteran coaches as well. And the entire staff, for that matter, has a really nice mix where you've got a young up-and-coming coach in Ronald Nord that really connects well with the players. He leads the defense. He has a really good relationship with Tyrese Halliburton. But Rick Carlisle oversees everything, and he's not afraid when the time calls to, to get after guys, but he also will encourage them when they play well also. So I, I've enjoyed uh, this You know, the two years with Rick Carlisle and now this year getting to travel and even see some of those interactions more. And I think that he's he's in the right spot to help kind of continue to help this franchise take steps forward.
1: Absolutely. And, well, JJ, I really appreciate you jumping on here on a travel day. I know sometimes that can be a little hectic as far as planes and automobiles go in terms of at the airport. But enjoyed you coming back. Good to talk to you, my man. And good luck to the Pacers on Saturday afternoon
0: Sounds good. I say NBA travel is not real travel. It's uh, it's pretty <laughs> nice and we're in, we're in a nice location. So, happy to talk with you and we hope everyone in Fort Wayne has a great weekend.
1: We will. And take care. That's Jeremiah Johnson, the sideline reporter and pre-game post-game host for the Indiana Pacers. We're going to step aside here. It's the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush here on a Friday. Going to wrap things up here. Hope everyone has a great weekend. I want to congratulate the Manchester University Spartans basketball team. They clinched the number one seed in the tourney with the Heartland Conference Championship. And Nate Conley was the coach of the year for the Heartland Conference. They play Rose Holman tonight over in North Manchester at 7 o'clock as their tourney starts. And hopefully... They'll be able to get a bid into the Division Three National Title, and that National Title game will be held right here in Fort Wayne, because we're going to have a paint the town blue night here coming up on the 27th. Remember, you got the Homestead Spartans, Norwell Knights, right here on 1380 The Fan at 7:30. Adam Lundy and Eric Dukovic with the post game show from the Wayne Pizza Hut. Come on in, say hello, and join and and. Enjoy some pizza for uh, a Friday night. Brett Rump should be back here in the chair on Monday. We'll know pretty certainly by that time who we they were, we're going to play. I want to thank all of our guests that joined us today. Of course, thanks to my partner in crime, Adam Lundy, here in studio. I appreciate all your listeners. Thanks for listening in. Have a great weekend. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.7.